Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. So children, I invite you forward uh, at this time. Uh, Serena and William, that includes you and uh, the rest of you too. I don't want to have to call you out by name, but uh, if we don't have enough uh, children, we'll have to start calling on confirmation kids to come on up. (laughs) All right, why don't you just take a seat right around me here. Just take a seat there. Oh man. All right. I drank a lot of coffee this morning, um, but I'm also very, very thirsty. And I have in here some water, all right? That look okay? Does that look okay to drink? Should I drink this? Yeah? Mm. Oh, that's refreshing. Anybody else want some? No? Well, that's good because I don't want to share my germs with you anyway in here. So, And in here I have another jar. And the water looks... Uh, the water looks a little bit different, doesn't it? What's, uh, what's wrong with this water in here? Yeah, what's wrong? Just shout it out. What's wrong? It's not clean at all. No, you're right. I've got some, uh, some leftover food that I found on the floor of our, of our uh, <coughs> dining room. <laughs> and uh, some orange peels and some dirt. Do you know how hard it was to find dirt now? It actually wasn't too hard. We had a pile outside. <laughs> but all of that is put in there. Now, let me ask, which one of these would you rather drink? <laughs> that is wise. I don't think there'd be anybody in their right mind who would drink this, would you? Would you, Jed, go drink the uh, Buffalo River water if you had perfectly good tap water in your house? No, you're crazy, but not even you would do that, right? <laughs> In, uh, in the Bible, God says that his people have given up this good water that he provides for the nasty, dirty, broken water and broken cisterns and things like this. And God's people spiritually were doing that. They were giving up good, living water, fresh, clean water, and drinking nasty, ugly, dirty, old stuff. And so as we go through our sermon today, I want you to be listening for the prophet Jeremiah and what he says to God's people and how they've kind of abandoned him and left good stuff for the dirty stuff. All right, you can return to your seats. Sorry I didn't have anything for you like candy. Next time I will, okay? If I get thirsty this morning, I'll have to drink out of the right <laughs> cup. <So. laughs> last, last Sunday, we finished a seven-week series in the book of Amos, right? Amos was one of the prophets of the Lord who had been called by God uh, to his people, and he tried to call Israel and Judah back to the Lord. And Amos lived 
Amos lived somewhere around the time, I'm sorry, you can't quite see that there, of, of 750 B.C., okay? He warned of, of the pending doom and judgment coming on God's people. And then around 25 years later, in 722 B.C., the, the kingdom, the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, fell and was taken off into exile by Assyria, and Judah, the southern kingdom, uh, at that time was also very nearly destroyed by Assyria. And uh, the Lord intervened. Judah was spared. But about 125 years after Amos, about 100 years after Israel was conquered, the Lord called another man, Jeremiah, uh, to be a prophet. And, and Jeremiah was a young man at this time, probably less than 20 years old. And the messages that the Lord gave Jeremiah were not well received at all. Uh, like Amos before him, Jeremiah preached sermons full of judgment and doom for Judah. Jeremiah was, was mocked and ridiculed. He was put in the stocks. And he had other prophets, false prophets, directly contradict his, his messages after he gave them. His messages were finally and, and ultimately validated almost 50 years after he started giving them when Judah was conquered by Babylon and carried off into exile in the 586 B.C. mark there. And our sermon text today from Jeremiah chapter 2, it may be Jeremiah's first sermon that he ever preached uh, very early. It starts in chapter 2 and goes into the first part of chapter 3. We're not going to look at the whole thing this morning, just the first section of it, but the tone of, of this section captures the tune for the rest of the sermon, really the book of Jeremiah as a whole. And because our sermon text is a, a bit longer, I'm not going to start off by reading the whole thing. We'll take it in, in bite-sized pieces as we come to them. But I do want to read just two verses uh, in order to set the stage. So if you're able, uh, would you stand with me as I read Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. And as we read these verses, I bet you will catch the tie-in with the children's sermon. Jeremiah 2, verses 13 and 14. I'm sorry, verses 12 and 13. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn out for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water. Heavenly Father, Lord, these are your words. We thank you for the prophet Jeremiah and the messages that you gave him and the courage and the boldness that he had to proclaim them even in the midst of, of tough times of mockings and ridicules and being imprisoned and just being beaten for you, Father, and we pray for us today as we open your word uh, that we would not be as hard-hearted and stubborn as, as the Israelites, the, those in Judah who first heard these words. Lord, may you soften our hearts and, and heed the message that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Jeremiah has some harsh words for the people of God. He calls heaven and earth to witness what a terrible thing God's people have done. They've, they've forsaken the Lord, the, the fountain of living water, and they've laborious, 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 uh, I can't say that word right now, <laughs> Labor, laboriously, there we go, dug broken cisterns, broken cisterns that can't hold water. 
But before we dive into the living waters and before we turn our noses up at the contents of the broken cistern, verse 13, we need to back up a little bit and listen to the full indictment that Jeremiah and ultimately the Lord has against Judah. And the first indictment is found in verses 1 through 8 of Jeremiah chapter 2. In these verses, Jeremiah tells us that the Lord's love for Judah is reciprocated by Judah's faithlessness towards him. And as I read, listen for what God's love for his people is compared to. Listen to these verses. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord. I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who ate of it incurred guilt, and disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord. What wrong did your fathers find in me, that they went far from me? And went after worthlessness and became worthless. Did they not say, they did not say, Where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in the land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through where no man dwells? So I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land, you made my heritage. An abomination. The priests did not say, Where is the Lord? Those who handle the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, and they went after things that do not profit. Did you catch what God's love for his people is compared to in the beginning of those verses? Yeah, God's love for his people is compared to the love between a bride and a groom. A bride and a groom. And Jeremiah gives a bit of a history in these verses, reminding them of God's love for them and their love for God when their love was still in that honeymoon phase, in that honeymoon stage. Israel, from from the time of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, uh, and on down, Israel was the Lord's chosen people. They were his bride. And they were chosen not because of any greatness or goodness found in them, but simply because of the mercy of God. And Paul makes that abundantly clear in Romans 9. Israel was chosen to be the people through whom the Messiah, the Christ, would come. Israel was to be a light and a witness for the Lord, a mirror reflecting God's love to the world. They were his chosen people. And as his chosen people, the Lord promised to be with Israel through every storm they encountered. They were with him as they were slaves in Egypt. Uh, He was with them as as he led them out of Egypt through the plagues and the, the miraculous parting of the Red Sea where they crossed through on dry ground, right? The Lord was with them when they wandered in the wilderness. He was with them as they entered the promised land. He was with them as as first the judges and later on the kings governed his people. He was with them even as foreign nations like Assyria and Babylon and Egypt were fighting for control and world dominance. Through it all, the Lord God was with his people. But yet Israel, as a faithless bride, went their own way. Somewhere along the line, the honeymoon had ended for Israel. 
in every one of those instances when I mentioned that the Lord went with Israel and, and displayed his love to Israel, in every one of those instances, Israel wandered from the Lord. As they were slaves in Egypt, they doubted the Lord's deliverance. As they wandered in the wilderness, they grumbled against him time and time again. When they entered the promised land, they failed to follow his ways and, and his instructions perfectly. And when the Lord appointed, again, first judges and then later kings to govern and lead his people, Israel rebelled and demanded their own ways. During that time, long after the honeymoon was over, Israel faltered in their devotion to the Lord and began to worship and go after the false idols of of the deities of the nations that were around them. And the Lord, through Jeremiah, asks his people a rhetorical question in verse 5. What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me? It's as if the Lord is saying, what did I do wrong? Where have I gone wrong? Uh, Tell me, what more could I have done for you? I have done everything. I've bent over backwards for you, and yet you have still abandoned me. Here he's he's inviting a a conversation and and a discussion on how he has failed them. What actions, what failures on, on his part would legitimize their disloyalty to him and their unthankfulness towards him? Jeremiah was living among a people who had totally alienated themselves from God. Everyone had, everyone from from the kings on down to the prophets, the priests and the scribes, on down to the the merchants and the peasants, everyone had willingly alienated themselves from the Lord and had gone their own way. Israel behaved like like a faithless bride who on her wedding night left her newly married husband for the comfort of others. And in verses 9 through 13 of this text, we see the deep depths of Judah's faithlessness. Look at these verses here. Therefore, I still contend with you, declares the Lord, and with your children's children I will contend. For cross to the coats of Cyprus and see, or or send a cater and examine with care. See if there has been done such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. And then the words we read earlier, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water. In that first section of chapter 2, the Lord chastises his wayward people for being faithless towards him by going their own way and following after worthless gods. And in in this second section, the Lord tells of, of the deep depths of Judah's faithlessness, and he brings his case, his legal case, to their attention. And the word that the Lord uses in verse 9 to describe his struggle with his people is the word contend. And oftentimes in the Old Testament, that word is translated as quarrel, quarrel or grumble. It was used to describe Israel's grumbling and complaining against the Lord. And here in Jeremiah 2, it's used in much more of a legal sense as as the Lord God, like a lawyer, lays out the evidence piece by piece, bit by bit, contending with Israel, presenting the case of Israel's unfaithfulness to the Lord. 
One commentator, a man named Philip Ryken, said that it's almost as if in these verses the Lord God is serving his people with divorce papers. This, however, Ryken says, is not a no-fault divorce or a divorce simply because of irreconcilable differences. God has legitimate grounds for these papers. (laughs) What wrongs did you find in me, the Lord says, Despite all that the Lord had done for them, the Lord had been faithful to them, but they had been faithless towards the Lord. It's almost as if the Lord is saying, it's not me, this is all you. And their faithlessness was so complete that they abandoned the Lord. Uh, Listen to this charge, this bit of evidence that's been brought in the courts here. Jeremiah 2, the first part of verse 10. Cross to the coast of Cyprus and see, or send to Cater and examine with care. And here the Lord is inviting his people to look all around, from the island of Cyprus in the west to, to Cater, the home of the Bedouin tribes in the Arabian desert in the east. Look around the world and check this out. See if this has ever happened before. See if there's been such a thing, he says. Has a nation changed its gods, even though there are no gods? In Jeremiah's day, many of the nations followed very pantheistic religions, right? Uh, They worshipped a a multitude of gods and deities. Uh, Israel was unique in that it was monotheistic. They worshipped the one true God, not a a plethora of minor deities. And often in these polytheistic religions, the deities would go through some sort of internal power struggle and be re-ranked according to the current problems of the world and then would be worshipped in in accordance with, with that. But very rarely would a nation outrightly or completely abandon the worship of the one deity or another. But Israel and Judah, my people, the Lord says, are guilty of just that. My people, he says, have changed their glory, (laughs) capital G, glory, me. My people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. The Lord's people, the one whom he chose to bring the Messiah to the world through, the ones he brought up and redeemed from Egypt, the ones he protected and defended in the wilderness and brought them safely into the promised land, the Lord's people were wholly unfaithful to him and they had abandoned him by worshiping other gods, gods and deities that were not real. They don't profit you anything. And there's a very vivid illustration of Israel's faithlessness to the Lord and it ties in with the children's sermon from earlier, the living waters and the broken cisterns. My people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and two, they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Two evils the, Lord, or the, the people of the Lord had done to the Lord. First, they forsook him, the living waters. In March of 2019, I took a group of, of guys from Maranatha down to the Grand Canyon. And we went for a five-day, four-night hike. Uh, Clay and Todd and then myself, Levi Dahl, Chris Papillon, and uh, Andrew Kwanbeck is uh, holding the camera. We didn't have him get in that picture for a selfie because uh, I don't know if you can see, but right behind us is a cliff, <laughs> probably 750 foot down to the river bottom there, right? And you see uh, down through the middle there, the, the Colorado River runs. And it's one of the dirtiest, one of the siltiest rivers. If you don't have proper equipment to filter the water through, you have to sift it through with your teeth, right? 
and in fact, on one of my earlier hiking trips through the canyon, our pump filter broke, <laughs> and we were uh, filtering the Colorado River through bandanas before they were face masks. They were uh, water filters, right? It was nasty. We did have some iodine that killed the bugs, but we were still eating the salt and the silt and drinking it. That's all that we had, and things like that. And, and unfortunately, when you're in the Grand Canyon, the, the Colorado River is the primary source of water. And I say primary source because it's not the only source we ran across. On our way up and out, we, uh, we took the Grand View Trail. And, and after hiking that trail for, I don't know, I think it was about eight miles, somewhere in there, there was a small detour that was well worth the extra three quarters of a mile. There's a spring, it's called Page Spring or, or Minor Spring, bubbling up on an outcropping of a cliff. And it's kind of hard to see. You're standing against the wall here, and just, this is just a, just a little outcropping there. And water is coming up through the bottom and flowing down the canyon. And, and just beautiful with the, with the ivy and the vines growing everywhere. And, and cool, refreshing water. Uh, so good after drinking the Colorado River for a couple of days. Uh, when we were there, Todd, in, in 2019, uh, part of this had, had cum- crumbled and, and caved in. Do you remember that, Clay? And so it didn't look this pretty, but it was just gorgeous before that. And now nobody, nobody in their right mind, even probably people who aren't in their right mind, would take one look at this spring and decide, you know what? <laughs> I don't like it. I'm, uh, I'm going to hike back down to the Colorado River eight miles away to get a drink of water, and then I'm going to hike right back up here another eight miles and things like that. Nobody would do that. Forsake the living water of the spring for a dirty, silty river. Nobody would forsake the living water for a stagnant pool of water. But that's what God's people were doing, spiritually speaking. They were leaving, forsaking the Lord, the one who could provide fresh living waters. And there's a second evil that the Lord said his people were doing. They were digging their own broken, cracked cisterns, right? Cisterns were were pits dug out of limestone that would collect and catch rainwater. Very important in a a desert, in in a wilderness, no doubt, right? But but there it was, the, the fresh living spring of water, And there they were, abandoning the living water of the Lord, (laughs) spending all that time and effort and energy to dig out their own cisterns uh, that they were hoping to collect rainwater from if it ever rained, but they were cracked and the water was leaking out. And jumping ahead to to verse 18 kind of helps us understand uh, what broken cisterns Israel was entrusting themselves to. The Lord says, And now what do you gain by going to Egypt to drink of the waters of the Nile? Or what do you gain by going to Assyria to drink the waters of the Euphrates? We'll talk about it a bit more when we get down to those verses. But Israel was abandoning the safety and security of the Lord by placing their trust in in other nations, nations of Egypt and Assyria. The Lord says that by trusting these nations and these politicians, it was as foolish as trying to drink out of a broken cistern, a broken cistern that can't hold water. What broken cisterns have you been drinking out of lately? Like Israel, we often drink out of the broken cisterns of politics and politicians. We place our faith and our hope and our trust in the men and women uh, who have the right initials behind their name. Uh, We place trust in the man in the only oval office only if he is our guy. We look to our, our congressional officials to try to legislate morality into the system when we are aren't faithfully following the Lord in our own words and deeds. 
Or, or maybe we look to our bank accounts, to our 401ks for stability and security rather than looking to the Lord for the, for the future and by trusting him with that. We, we, we try to become famous on YouTube or TikTok, fame that only lasts a minute and then the next big thing comes. We try to find our identity and our self-worth in our job titles and in our performance at work and in our paychecks rather than from the Lord and who he says we are. We try in vain to have the things of the world fill us up but they can never satisfy because they are broken cisterns that run dry when we try to put stuff into them. And broken cisterns are everywhere and they constantly tempt us to leave the Lord, the living water. However, the Lord invites us to return to him, return to the fountain of living water instead of trusting in broken cisterns. The Lord's invitation to repentance is and always has remained open. And in verses 14 through 19, Jeremiah tells us that there are no legitimate alternatives to genuine repentance. Look at these verses, verses 14 through 19, reading in Jesus' name. Is Israel a slave? Is he a home-born servant? Why then has he become a prey? The lions have roared against him. They have roared out loudly. They have made his land a waste. His cities are in ruins without inhabitants. Moreover, the men of Memphis and Taphanes have shaved the crown of your head. Have you not brought this upon yourself by forsaking the Lord your God when he led you in the way? And now what do you gain by going to Egypt to drink of the waters of the Nile? Or what do you gain by going to Assyria to drink of the waters of the Euphrates? Your evil will chastise you. Your apostasy will reprove you. Know and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. For the fear of you is not in me, declares the Lord of hosts. Not only did Israel trade the fresh living water for, for broken cisterns that couldn't hold water, but the, Jeremiah also said that they traded their freedom under the Lord to bondage under idols. Both Memphis and uh, Toponese, mentioned in verse 16, were major cities in Egypt. Memphis was once the capital of Lower Egypt, Southern Egypt, and Toponese was, was an important garrison in the northeast along the border of Israel and Egypt. And these men, men from Memphis and Toponese, shaved the crown of your head as a sign of Israel's subjugation and slavery. As Israel and Judah forsook the Lord, they became slaves to the idols of these nations. And with all of this, there are some huge geopolitical ramifications and implications here for Israel and Judah. Remembering the context that Jeremiah is, is speaking into is helpful. Right? Assyria is the world power, the height of their power, and they're looking to expand their territory again. And the nation of Judah is smack dab in the middle of its sights. And at this time, Egypt is looking to return to a world power itself, return to its former glory. And Babylon uh, is a small state in open rebellion against Assyria, but they're also growing stronger. And many who lived in Ju uh, Judah, including King Hezekiah, wanted to form alliances with Babylon to ward off any Assyrian aggression. 
And others in Judah thought that they should throw their lot in with Egypt and hope for the best. Or some just said, you know what, let's give up. Let's uh, bow to the inevitable. Let's, uh, let's become Assyrians. So put yourself right in their shoes. To begin with, your nation is small and insignificant. You're being threatened again and again by a powerful empire. There could be some easy help and deliverance if you would just align yourself politically and spiritually with one of these other nations. Become a vassal state of a different world power and, and save your nation for the time being. But the Lord, through Jeremiah, says to his people, frightened, faithless, and wayward, the Lord says, do not become slaves again. Do not align yourselves with the up-and-coming world powers. That's not what I have for you. Jeremiah chapter 2 has been full of a lot of bad news, hasn't there? There's not a lot of silver lining to this passage. Jeremiah doesn't give his audience much hope to cling to. But thankfully, in the next chapter, in one of Jeremiah's next sermons, he gives Judah and us some hope. Look ahead to chapter 3, verses 12, 13, and 14. In these verses, Jeremiah not only provides some hope, but he offers the people a chance to return to the Lord. Genuine repentance, Jeremiah says, genuine repentance involves returning to the Lord. Go and proclaim these words to the north and say, Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt, that you rebelled against the Lord your God and scattered your favors among foreigners under every green tree, and that you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. Return, O faithless children, declares the Lord, for I am your master. I will take you from one city and from two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion." Finally, there are some words of, of hope in the midst of this doom and gloom. Yes, the Lord says, judgment is coming. But there can be mercy and grace and forgiveness for all those who return to me. The Lord God is full of mercy for the broken. He willingly extended it to Israel and to Judah, his wayward, unfaithful bride. And he willingly extends it to you today too. Maybe you spent a lifetime trying to find satisfaction in yourself with, with stale, impure water found in broken cisterns. Money, power, fame, possessions. But none of it has satisfied you. They, they leave you empty continually and thirsty, only wanting more. But to you, his, his wayward children, the Lord continues to extend his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness. He continually invites you to repent from your sinful ways and to return to him. And for you, there is mercy and grace and forgiveness found in the cross of Jesus. His death on the cross in your place and on your behalf brings God's grace down from heaven to earth and right into your very soul. Oh, that you would repent of your sins today and return to him. He is merciful. He is gracious, even to the worst of sinners. His love is limitless. Jesus is, as he told the Samaritan woman, he is the one who can satisfy, who can give a living water. He is the only one in whom we can have find true purpose and meaning and joy and satisfaction. And I don't know what broken cisterns you've been trying to find your satisfaction, your fulfillment in, your job, your grades in school, your popularity, the, the people that you put around you, the money that you saved or invested, the car you drive, the toys you have, 
whatever the case may be, right? Broken cisterns are everywhere and they can never fully satisfy. Instead, find yourself at the spring of living water, Jesus Christ, and drink of his love, his grace, his mercy. He loves you and he gave himself for you. Amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness in our lives. Thank you for how you demonstrated your love for us by sending us your, your son, our Savior, Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that we would abandon the broken cisterns that we've been trying to find joy and fulfillment and satisfaction in our lives in, Lord, and return to you, the only one who can provide satisfaction and fulfillment and joy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.